RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. What is it like to be part of or to be responsible for one of the most iconic moments in sports history? Just not LSU sports history or the state of Louisiana's history, but college baseball history. Well, our next guest knows all about that. He was a star player at Bolton High School in Alexandria. He would go to attend LSU to pursue a baseball career, but did so on an academic scholarship. He waited his turn, which is rare these days, as he would eventually replace All-American Todd Walker at second base for the Tigers. He would go on to be a star player himself and then, of course, helped LSU win the 1996 College World Series championship. After overcoming an injury, he hit the most famous home run in college baseball history. He would go on to win a bronze medal for Team USA at the 1996 Olympic Games and played five years in the show. That's right, five years in the big leagues. It's our privilege to welcome to the Rap Game Podcast the one and only Warren Morris. Warren, good day to you, sir. How you doing, brother? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks, Raymond. Thanks for having me on. All right, bud. I want to look. I always love catching up with you. Uh, you always have great stories to tell. You're you're part of the most iconic moment in college baseball history, definitely college World Series history. But I also want to get your thoughts on kind of the state of the college athlete because there you are back in the '90s, and you choose to go to LSU on an academic scholarship. They did not offer you. Uh, you know, you weren't going on an athletic ride, and not only do you go there for academics and you go out to play for the baseball team you also wait your turn behind an all-american in todd walker you don't see a whole lot of that these days brother so walk me back through all those years ago what was your thought process why did you decide to go to lsu and why were you okay going there on an academic scholarship and waiting your turn well i mean for me, it's probably a little different scenario than for, you know, a lot of the guys where they throw out, you know, four-star and five-star recruit labels. I mean, I, I would have probably been a zero-star label. So, um, you know, just to get the opportunity to, to be at LSU and be part of the program, you know, everyone's treated the same there. Uh, obviously, I had the same opportunity to compete and win the job um, as anyone else that came in that was a lot more heralded. But, I mean, I can I can tell you for sure, when I got there, I didn't really even know if I was good enough to play at LSU. I didn't think about playing professional baseball or anything. I just thought, you know, I, I definitely wanted to complete my education in college, and if I could do that and, and play baseball, I mean, that was a dream come true for me. And, uh, you know, grew up a, an LSU fan. It's the flagship school for our, our, our state, and, you know, had a few offers and people talking from some other schools, which I just, I guess it came down to me just thinking about, you know, what happens if, if I go to one of those places and I do great. I just think in the back of my mind, I would always wonder, you know, how would I have done at LSU? How would I have done, you know, uh, at that quote, big time? And so I just, I mean, I did, I wasn't really a risky person. I was probably a lot more shy than I, than I am now. But I, I did. I took that risk, and I said, you know, whether it's going to be good or bad, I'm going to take the chance, and I'm going to go down there. And, and that way I'll never have that question. I'll know um, even if I go and I'm never good enough to get on the field and play, at least I'll know um, that I gave it a shot. So 
that, that that's probably one of the prouder things that I, that I have looking back now. The me now, uh, if I could go back and talk to the me in, in high school, you know, I, I, I doubt myself in high school would have, would have probably believed the things about Olympics and professional baseball and, and all of that. So uh, just a little different scenario. I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, some of the kids that are coming in now, they're, they're heralded. They're, they're being told in the 10th grade or 11th grade that you're good enough to play in the, the big leagues. And if if I was in that situation, and then I went to a college and wasn't getting to play, and people were telling me you're you're really better than sitting on the bench, I don't know. Maybe I'd want to enter a transfer portal, but I, I don't know. I, there's something to be said about uh, the person who just says, you know what? If I'm not good enough now, I'm not going to give up on this team. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to fight and um, you know get myself better so that. Uh, I just I like the fact that uh, you know I, I want to be the person where the coach he doesn't really have to think hard about it he knows he's going to put me in the lineup because he feels like he's got the best chance at winning and I mean we don't have any control over other people's decisions but we have control over what we do and how well we react to it so uh, I just you know Coach Berkman was huge on that I just focused really hard on the things I could control and just trying to be a champion at those. So kind of a long answer to your question, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, would I have stuck around if, if I would have been the coming in as the next Todd Walker? But uh, for me, <laughs> I just thought it was cool to, hey, I'm going to get to watch and learn from probably the best college baseball hitter that may have ever played the game and get to see him up close and, and learn, like, what does he do in batting practice? What does he do in the batting cages? How can I mimic that to make myself better? So that, that was my full look. I never felt sorry about, hey, why shouldn't I play in front of him? Because, honestly, I knew at that time, at that point, he was better than me. And um, I just thought it was an opportunity for me to look and get better at myself. You know, you did so many things in high school. Obviously, you were an All-State baseball player, Warren, but you also lettered three years in basketball and even a year in cross country. And when you decide to go to LSU, you're going to go on an academic scholarship and you just want to learn, you want to be part of the program. Walk us back through that because I remember living in the Baton Rouge area around that time and it felt like Skip Berman had turned the baseball program into the center of the sports universe for the state of Louisiana. And it was as if nothing else really mattered and that's just kind of how it felt as a kid. Obviously, they had the football program. Obviously, they had Shaq uh, there for basketball. But the baseball program, when you arrived, bud, it, they had finally broken through with that first College World Series championship in 91. You're a redshirt freshman. They win it again in 93. What was it like playing for LSU, the excitement and the buzz in Baton Rouge on campus and throughout the state? Oh, it was tremendous. I mean, I I guess the the nearest thing I can think of, just looking back, is I mean it was like you were a rock star just to wear that uniform, and you know uh, you know the, the autographs, the things that you still have today from the program, and it's still you know probably one of the top three or four programs in the country. But yeah, I mean it was fresh on that rocket taking off into orbit, you know, winning the '91 championship, and then you know you just seeing wow this is the program that is, is one of the best around and then getting there in 93 and, you know, red shirting. And, you know, sometimes people are upset because they have to red shirt. I mean, for me, I, that, I knew that was what I needed to do. So I took that opportunity, 
to just be in the weight room, to get stronger, to watch and see what does it take to be able to even play and compete at this level, and then for that team to win and then <laughs> to give me a ring because I'm part of the team. And, I mean, my main contribution that year was shag and fly balls, but I, I got better. And it, I, there would have never been a 1996 or a College World Series for me if it wasn't for 93. And, uh, I mean, I think that's a great lesson for any of us. We always want that fast food. What can I get right now? We have to remember sometimes when you go through that struggle or that downtime, it's it's because it's preparing you for something that's going to be great in two or three years in the future. But, um, yeah, back to what you're saying about just around Baton Rouge on campus, I mean, you know, the football program was, was struggling at that time. Um, I can remember, kind of funny to think about now, when I was a student at LSU and we made a bowl game, we got to go to the Independence Bowl. I mean, people were so happy celebrating. <laughs> I, oh, and yeah. I went to it. I went to Shreveport. I got my tickets. Like I was like, man, this is great. We're in a bowl game. Can you? I mean, just think about that now. I mean, now people would they probably wouldn't even want to go to a you know a lesser bowl game. But that that's where it was. So. Football wasn't really winning. You know, basketball, Shaq had graduated or left the year before I got there. So they weren't, you know, winning the SEC or anything, but the baseball is just winning. I mean, every time you walk into the ballpark, I just felt like at Alex Box, you know, we were going to win the game. Now, we didn't win all of them, but we won a lot. So I think there's a lot of pride in that. And, um, you know, just you see more LSU baseball hats around everywhere i mean i i can remember as a kid i mean i'm not that far from from baton rouge i'm two hours away but i mean i saw as many buddies of mine wearing other colleges shirts and stuff as as lsu but once that baseball starts winning and you're talking national championships and that's a special thing now i'm seeing you know i see movies i remember that the movie white men can't jump he's wearing an lsu hat and i was like man did you see that <laughs> so it, it just it, it turned things around and just to be part of that and then to be on that team and inside look in 93 and then just that put that hunger in all of us that, that weren't really contributors on that team to just make our mark and kind of build up 94 95 we didn't get there but it all led to that 96 magical season what was the biggest lesson you learned or lessons you learned, Warren, when you were just shagging fly balls during BP during that 1993 season? Um, just kind of how to, how to go about what it, you know, what it took to, to be that type of player, Division One player, uh, you know, a, a team good enough to win the national championship. Um, you know, it's not one thing, but it was – you know, the importance of, of the weightlifting, the strength, the importance of, you know, putting, you know, co- things Coach talked about, which, I mean, I think we all know they're important, but we, we really focused on, you know, if, if you can not swing at bad pitches as a batter, that really puts a lot of pressure on the other team. Whenever you're a good base running team and you take the extra base when they bobble a ball, that puts pressure. Well, you know, People don't play as well when they have pressure on them. And, you know, we talked a lot about let's make it difficult on the other team. And, you know, even in close games, a lot of times it's just there's one little thing that's the difference between a win or a loss. Just, you know, we talked about the mental side of the game. Coach was big on visualization and and seeing yourself. And, you know, that's not for everyone, but I know for me that that helped me a lot. For someone who – 
came in and didn't just day one have the confidence level to think, oh, I'm going to come into this program and dominate. I mean, for me to be able to visualize and see myself being successful, and, you know, the more you really can see yourself in your mind's eye coming through and, and being the guy that gets the big hit or making the big play or if a pitcher making the pitch, your mind, you know, your mind doesn't know the difference between what you visualized and what really happened. And pretty soon you're, you're uh, in the game and you're able to come through like that and it's not really a shock because it's kind of like, well, I've been here before. You know, I've done that, but it was in my mind's eye. Just, you know, those kind of things that, that were beyond, you know, when you hit, put your elbow here, when you, you know, step. Not mechanical things so much, but a lot of the kind of the deeper, the mental stuff that honestly are what helped me even beyond when I got into pro ball. What was it like having to replace, as uh, you described him, maybe the greatest hitter in LSU history? Um, you know, I, I think at first uh, I probably tried to put too much pressure on myself, but even then um, I, I can remember just coming to the realization and, and getting those questions from reporters and, and, and people early in the season because I was going to be the second baseman after Todd Walker had come in and been an All-American. And I, I just remember my answer, and I really I felt this way, was I, I'm not trying to step into his shoes. I'm going to be me and um, – Whatever that that is, that's that's what I'm going to be good with. So um, I, I don't think anybody w- thought I was the second coming of, of Todd Walker or anything like that. So really, it was more or less about me just being the best LSU second baseman I could be. And then you know when I was up at the plate, do my job just like he did his job. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it was a little easier for me. You know, I see some of these guys that come in and you know they're the number one or number five recruit in the nation and from day one everybody's talking about how they they have to be great because that's what everybody said they're going to be great well I was kind of the unknown (laughs) so in some ways that made things easier there's some battles you got to go through there because at the same time I you know your mind's eyes kind of sometimes tell would tell me what are you doing out here you know these guys are good but once I got out there and I was able to compete and you know I just little things make a big difference. I can remember going back to that 93 season. Uh, that was the only season that I was ever with Coach Smoke Laval. And, you know, I'm a red shirt. I'm out there. I don't hit on the field. I hit only in the cage like the other red shirts do. But, you know, about once a week or sometimes twice a week, he would find his way over to me and remind me, hey, you're good enough. You're, you're going to play here. So you just keep doing what you're doing. But, you know, I and, and at first maybe I had some doubts about whether I was good enough. But after you hear that enough from somebody who's been around and knows well enough, as Coach uh, as Smoke Laval did, I started believing it. And so I, I just I, I look back at that, and maybe it didn't mean as much to me then, but I, I think it was just kind of a little brick that was put up that kind of was making me more and more solid and preparing me for the future. But I, I just I, I, I love the fact that now I can look back and remember, you know, he didn't need to do that. He had all those other guys to get ready for the season. They were ready to win a national championship. But he went out and sought out this little walk-on academic scholarship red shirt to tell that to not just once or twice. I'm talking once or twice every week. And that made a big difference just in my confidence level. And, I mean, I'm a big believer if you've you got the confidence level there, I mean, you can you – can, 
Tell me about that first season when you're a starter there in 94. You guys get back to the College World Series, fall short of winning the championship, but you do get to experience Omaha as a player. Uh, What was that like just becoming a starter and going back to Omaha, but this time you're out there in the starting lineup? Well, I mean, it it was was big for us. I mean, and I kind of say us, the the nucleus of guys that weren't so much regulars in 93 because – I do think it, it's difficult. I mean, and, and teams have done it. You know, I think Fresno State one time did it where it's a group of guys that had never been to Omaha and they win it all. But just in my opinion, it, it's very difficult. I mean, typically a team that wins the championship is one who has a little taste of Omaha, and that way they kind of get that under underneath them and they see, okay, now I see what this is all about. Now let's go take care of business and win it. So I, that 96 team, I think a lot of it was because a good number of us were there in 94, even though it was two games and back home. But just to be able to experience it and know we were good enough to get there, if we get there again, we're not going to let this opportunity slip by us. So, um, you know, it was a different position for me throughout that season because, yeah, Todd's playing sh- uh, second and Russ Johnson's playing short and I mean, that was probably the the best up-the-middle combination, definitely in the SEC, I don't know, maybe in the nation. So I hit well enough, and uh, Coach found me a spot in the outfield. I'd never played the outfield in my life, so trying to learn. Not once? Well, I mean, maybe they threw me out there in a Little League game every now and then. (laughs) But, but yeah, I was always a shortstop in high school, and, uh, you know, so I, I was just trying to figure out what I need to do and not mess up in the outfield. But, you know, the hitting felt a little more comfortable, and, and once, you know, I started to get some confidence there, I was able to, you know, to, to do well enough there. But, um, yeah, just, just being able to play in the College World Series and, and you know, that, that led to that next 95 season. Because I just, I just remember after that season ended, you know, as we walked off that, that field in Omaha for the last time, just taking a stop looking back and really, you know, seriously feeling in my mind as I looked back over that field that we will be back here again, and uh, we definitely did that. We didn't the next year in 95. We lost in the regional. We didn't even get to go, which, again, I think was even more fuel and more fire for the 96 team that uh, we're not falling short of that this year. Let's talk about your junior season, that, that 90, 1996 season, because it was a heck of an academic year for you too, bud. You're, you, you were homecoming, queen, uh, homecoming king now. I mean, uh, where, where's uh, is there a crown still somewhere in the house, in the Moore's household? <laughs> no, I think I had to give it back. But uh, I, got the, I got the pictures and all. But I, I will say I think that that, that vote came after Omaha because I would not have won the homecoming king prior to that. I like, but it's, it's – um, it's a great season. Obviously, you have the the play, the one of the most iconic plays of all time. But I want to go back through that because not only that, you actually went through the trials happened or the junior team happened the summer before, right? In between your sophomore and your junior season is when you got to play for the um, the USA national team. And you played so well on that, you got the invite to the summer trials. That's how you got onto the Olympic team, correct? That's right, yeah. And, I mean, again, it's it's kind of all, to me, just a, a process or steps along the way that help get you to, you know, for me, everybody remembers that home run in 96. But, yeah, that, that 95 season, 
as a team, we didn't accomplish our goals, but I did well enough to where I was invited to these USA baseball trials um, that would be kind of the nucleus that would be in the Olympics the next year. And I played on that summer with, you know, guys that would go on and play in the major leagues and, you know, um, the best of the best in, in college baseball. And I, I held my own. Like, I, I was our everyday second baseman. I ended up hitting well. And, you know, because of that, now all of a sudden <laughs> the same kid who came from Bolton High School that nobody knew the first day of practice, now in 96 as we start the, the practices for that season, now I'm like a preseason All-American and, you know, just looked at as a leader. So it was a total different shift. But it was something I embraced because th- that summer just playing on that Team USA really did kind of instill in me some, I guess, some leadership qualities and, and just the, the feeling of, hey, you know, I can do this. If I can play with those guys, I can play with anybody. And so, uh, yeah, started off that season, and it's not it didn't end the – I mean, it, it ended great, but it, it, the middle part was nothing like I thought it would have gone. But uh, to start it off, you know, we're preseason number one, and, you know, I, I felt like I was one of the leaders, and – I was hoping I'd do my part to lead us to the promised land. Uh, I'm a big uh, believer in, in, in my faith in God. He had different plans for the way it would turn out. I would not have written the story the way it came out, but it ended up it's it's an even better story than I could have ever written. That season, you guys were 22-0 and zero in games where you started, and you started 22 of 28 games, but you had the hand surgery on April 24th, and you had to miss, uh, what was it, like 30? You missed uh, almost like 40 games, right, uh, due to due to that injury. Um, yeah. w- walk me through, when did the injury happen, and did you think it was that big of a deal when it first occurred? Um, well, it, it happened, I, I kind of get the numbers mixed up sometimes, and then Coach Burtman probably could correct me and tell me exactly the number of games, but you know, we were undefeated, and I played in the first 10 or 12 games, and all is going well, and we're playing a midweek game. I, I want to say maybe we're playing um, maybe Tulane or somewhere in, in Baton Rouge, and I, I, re, I, I remember hitting a ball off the end of my bat, and, you know, that happens. I get lucky. I get a base hit, but I get the first base, and I, it just feels like my hand is numb, like I have no strength or anything in it, and so end up the next time it's my turn to bat I don't see anything about it but I just I mean like I I had no strength in my hand to try to hit and so um, you know that that leads to going to get x-rays and everything the next day and uh, you know going to see a hand specialist and you know over the course of a week or so they they just couldn't find anything none of the x-rays or anything show anything so the, the hand specialist just said, well, you know, if there's nothing there, then it must be some sort of ligament problem. If you just sit out and rest, it should get better. So I sit out for like a month, and at this time, I mean, it's not any worse, but it's not any better either. So we give it a go, and I play in one of the SEC games, and and now it, it's it's much worse. Like I can remember like just going to class to take notes, and it, it hurt to write. So, again, we do more tests. Nothing really shows, so they sit me out for another month. And really not until another test, like after two months or so beyond, which, you know, no one's fault. It's just you you do all the different tests and nothing shows. Well, there was finally one that showed there was a fracture in that hamate bone, 
and uh, they said, you know, hey, we can do this surgery, and, you know, you remove the broken piece, but the big unknown is how long does it take before you're able to get back and play again? You know, coach calls around to some major league, um, you know, trainers, and certain guys are back in 30 days. Some guys, it takes 70 days. Well, I just I said, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Let's do the surgery, and we'll hope for the best. And sure enough, about 28, 29 days after that surgery, the regional started right there in the box, and uh, I was in there. And, you know, I wasn't near 100%, but I was able to play. And, you know, from there, just kind of made it through until we got to Omaha, and then it just gave my hand a little more time to get back to strength and, I know as corny as it sounds, it's true. I, I told Coach Berkman the day of the championship game as we're taking batting practice before we go uh, play Miami, I said, you know, today is the first day all year since that injury that I feel as close to 100% as I have today. And, uh, you know, that, I guess it was good timing. But, you know, it's just crazy how it worked out. What if I got diagnosed, you know, a week later? Well, then I wouldn't have had enough time to make it back. So it was just, just kind of a magical you know, thing I, I think is a God thing, but, uh, you know, that's just part of the story. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was a crazy year. And, you know, a lot of times throughout that year I wondered, I mean, do I have some kind of freakish injury that I'm not going to be able to play baseball, yeah, period, let alone this year, because it just it never would get any better. And uh, But, you know, I, once we had that surgery, then that kind of turned everything around and you just – had to kind of hope that I'd be able to get back in time, and I was able to get back just in time. Did you doubt that you would be able to play, and did you question your faith at all during that time, or did it do the opposite, Warren, where it strengthened your faith and you put all your faith in God that you would be able to come back, or whatever God had in front of you is what would happen, you would accept it? Uh, I mean, I would say both. It definitely strengthened my faith, but it, it all kind of, I can look back to when that happened. I mean, you know, over that first month or two when it's not getting any better, I mean, I can remember just feeling like the weight of the world was on my shoulders, you know, worrying about things. Is this ever going to get any better? Feel sorry for myself, all of that. But I don't know. One day I just, I, I kind of, I just, closed the door in my in my my room at my apartment i got down on my knees and i just prayed a prayer and i i basically gave it to god i said i don't know what you want me to do going forward if you want me to not play baseball and just get my degree and that's the end of it you know what i'm gonna be okay with it but if you want me to play then i'm gonna give all you all the glory but i'm not worried about it anymore it's that's it i'm done with it it's all yours and i mean i stuck to that from that day on I didn't really worry about it. I just knew it was going to be whatever it was going to be. And uh, sure enough, that test that showed the broken bone came about three or four days after that. And that's when it, it made the decision about surgery easy for me. Oh, you found something? Okay, let's have surgery. We're going we're gonna to see what happens with this. So, yeah, I mean, even today going through things, and we all go through things through life, I, I still look back to that day where I just made that decision, whether it's big or small, that's all we're supposed to do. Like, God, this is not mine. This is yours. You do with it whatever you want, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll live with that, and I'll be happy with it because I know your plans are better than mine. What's it like playing for Skip Bertman, and what did you learn from him? I always say, you know, in, in college you get an education and you get to choose your degree path. I, I felt like playing baseball at LSU, I got two degrees. I got a degree 
in in life and baseball as well. You know, um, you know, just so many things that he would teach us that were there to help you to be the best player and help us to be the best team. But at the same time, he was teaching us life lessons. You know, um, that, that real quick, the two that that always jump out to me and anybody that's ever played for Skip Berkman knows this. He's big on these two acronyms. He talked about um, HWA. HWA is how to win awareness. And he said, you know, to be a great team or to be a great player, it's not just about how far you can hit it or how hard you can throw the ball, but you got to have the ability to to be able to know what's the next thing that I need to do without some a coach telling you to do it. So if you're a base runner – you know, being able to see the outfielder just start to bobble the ball and immediately take off to third, and you'll be safe by just, you know, by half a step. Because if you wait and you got to look for the coach's signal, it's too late. So it's kind of that how-to-win awareness of being able to see, you know, what what's next. And, and I guess in life you think of a simple example. I work at a bank and I go out to the parking lot. If there's a piece of trash on the ground, Nobody's going to tell me to pick it up, but it doesn't cost me anything. Well, let me just pick it up and put it in the garbage, and that way it's done. You know, just those little things or knowing whenever you walk by somebody that they look like they, they may be a little down. Maybe that's a good time to, to go over there and cheer them up. You know, those kind of things, HWA in, in baseball are the little things. Really, they're not little. That's the things that help you win the games. Well, the other one that he talked a lot about is the opposite end of the spectrum. He talked about T.O.B., he always said, unfortunately, baseball is no longer the great American pastime. The great American pastime has become T-O-B, which stands for transfer of blame. Transfer of blame, you know, think about it from a young age. We blame, why don't you have your homework? Well, the dog ate my homework. <laughs> why, why, Johnny, why didn't you catch that fly ball? The sun got in my eyes. We're always looking for excuses. And that was one of Coach Bergman's big things is we're not going to make excuses. You know, you can make mistakes and you can strike out and you can walk batters, but don't blame it on anything. You own it because that's the only way you're going to get any better. So, you know, as a parent now, it's, it's I mean, it's so obvious. I, I see the same exact things, you know, whether my, my daughters have chores to do and they don't do something and I ask them, you know, what happened and they – start making excuses and immediately in my mind start thinking back to that's just T.O.B. they're giving me and you know it's just a teaching moment and you know I I could give you tons of examples like that where you know we learn things that helped you in the game of baseball but really sports are such a great metaphor for life what I learned was life lessons that not just how to win in baseball but how to win at life let's go to that 96 College World Series, and I love talking to you about this because you're so gracious with your time and you give such great insight. So, you know, you step to the plate, step, step to the plate and you're facing Miami's relief pitcher, Robbie Morrison. And did you have in your thought process, if he threw you a good pitch, you were going to swing at it no matter what? Or did you – I mean, what was that your style back then, that you were a first-pitch swinging guy, or that just so happened to be a serendipitous moment in your career? Yeah, I mean, it was probably more that. Um, it's funny, people ask me about that. And, you know, I, I don't have any kind of great baseball answer where sometimes guys are like, you know, I, I knew he was going to be looking to set me up with this, so I outsmarted him. Honestly – 
I just knew the situation. It was two outs, and um, I, I just made up my mind walking up there. And, and really, I, I kind of tell this story too. This is this really happened. So as I'm on deck, and you know, trying not to think about the weight of this situation, um, Tim Lanier in front of me, he he strikes out for out number two, and as he's walking by me. He just looks at me, and, and he says, you know, three words. He says, pick me up. And, you know, that was kind of our saying. That was another thing that we kind of shared as a team. You know, if, if someone made an error or someone didn't come through in a situation, we're not going to get down on them. We're just going to say, that's okay, next guy, you pick me up. And, and for whatever reason, whatever fear and doubt that I had before, when he said pick me up, it just kind of snapped me back in place and reminded me, you know what, this this is not just about me and this one at bat. This is a team game. This is about all of us. All I can do is my absolute best. So from that point to walking to the plate, the only thing I thought about was, I don't care what happens right here on this next at bat, I'm going to be aggressive. <laughs> I felt like if I fail, I'm going to fail aggressive. So there was no chance that I was going to strike out looking at strike three. So maybe that's why, maybe that's why when the first pitch came, I was just had that aggressive mindset, and I thought, you know, uh, let me find a good one to put the bat on. I'll, I'll tell you this, too. I'd hit no home runs that whole year. You know, I hadn't played a whole lot. Well, that's what, that, so that's I what was, I'm about to ask you, Warren, because you're, you're not known as a home run hitter. You're not Albert Bell, right? You're not, you, you didn't right. bring that to the table. You brought another skill set, but yet you're known in LSU lore and in college baseball lore as – a guy who hit the walk-off home run. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, I mean, that was it. And, and honestly, that day, when you go back and you watch the highlights, the win, you know, the, the, the baseball field at Rosenblatt is, is a lot different, in my opinion, than the one they play now, the TD Ameritrade. It's, it's downtown. It's beautiful. Downtown Omaha, there's buildings around it. The wind doesn't blow like it did. Rosenblatt was, like, up on a hill right next to the zoo, and a lot of days, that wind would come through, and, I mean, it played like a small park unless, like on that day, the wind was actually blowing in. So there's an earlier situation where Miami has the bases loaded and their big hitter, Pat Burrell's up, and he hits a ball that went way up and on any other day would have been way out. He even kind of does a little home run symbol as he's going towards first base. He thought it was gone and Mike Kerner in center field catches it at the warning track, so the wind blows it back. So, really, no one's hitting home runs much that day, except it's blowing in from left field in. So, you know, the ball that I hit was luckily right down the right field line. It was low, so the wind couldn't affect it as much. But I say all that to say, no, I wasn't trying to hit a home run. I was trying to be aggressive, but I was hoping to get a line drive base hit to score Brad from third. Because remember where I was batting that day. I came back from the injury, but they didn't put me in the cleanup spot. Coach had me batting ninth, which I was fine with. I was just glad to be in the lineup since I'd been hurt all year. But I was batting ninth, and I knew if I could get on base, now we got the top of the order coming up. Jason Williams, we got Mike Kerner, we got Eddie Furness. So, again, when that ball goes over the fence and our first base coach, Daniel Tomlin, jumps higher than I've ever seen him jump, and I'm going crazy around those bases, that's because I'm as shocked as everybody there that the ball went over the fence because I was not trying to hit a home run. I was just making solid contact, and 
you know, that that's the beauty of baseball. If you, if you just go up there and you try to put a good swing on it and you hit it just right, it's going to go over the fence, usually more so than when you go up there trying to swing out of your shoes. So even though it only cleared a few inches, you knew when you hit it that it, it, no. it had a chance or you didn't know until you saw your first base coach jumping up no. and down like a madman. Right, right. Yeah, that was my first clue. In fact, as I'm coming out of the box, I'm running hard to try to get the second for a double. So when it gets over that fence and first base coach jumps up, that's when it just registers to me like, oh, my gosh, that's a home run. You know, so uh, <laughs> And I, I'll never forget getting to home plate and just my teammates going crazy. And I'm telling you, you get on the bottom of that dog pile, it's, you can't breathe. There's buttons missing off your shirt. It's, it's, it's chaos. But, I mean, that to me, I, I never was big into statistics and all of that. I just loved the game whatever team sports you play, I always wanted to be someone who could come through for my team in the clutch. And that's that's the most exciting part to me is even though I missed basically that whole season, um, that I got to have an exclamation mark on that championship and come through in the clutch for my teammates. Did you have any idea in the moments after that, in the days, weeks, and months even, that that play, that moment, would take on a life of its own like it has now almost 25 years later? No, not at all. I remember, um, you know, got back to the hotel, just I guess the interviews and everything. Somehow the, well, most of the team was, was just so happy, ready to go out and celebrate. By the time I got to the hotel, most everybody was gone. <laughs> so I remember, like, taking off my uniforms, taking a shower, and turning on Sports Center and seeing myself on there, which that's kind of crazy, you know. It's not like now where every game LSU plays is on TV. You know, we might be on a few times, but we were on the College World Series, but we're there, so we don't really get to see them. But seeing myself on a Sports Center highlight, I mean, that was that was crazy. But then the next day as we went to the airport, seeing my picture on the, the newspaper, in the little newspaper dispenser there, you know, just thinking, well, man, that's, that's pretty cool. I'm on the newspaper. Like, I never thought – you know, people be talking about it 25 years later. I, I didn't think SEC Network would want to do a you know a feature deal on it. So uh, no, the the 22 year old Warren never <laughs> had thoughts or you know uh, out, outside goals and, and range planning to think that it would go as far as it's gone. So it, it's been really neat and really the the one of the coolest things to me is just the number, the thousands and it seems like thousands of people over the years that have come up and told me where they were, what they were doing. They remember exactly what they were and who they were with. I get to meet all those people that otherwise, without that hit, they would have had no reason to come up and say hi to me or want to tell me that story. So that's been special. So all those people that have come up to you, that must mean there that must mean probably about 1.7 million people were watching it live there in Rosenblatt, bud? <laughs> yeah, that, I would agree with that. From If I had it account for all the people that told me they were in the stadium, then it, it must have been like a 400,000-seat stadium. <laughs> <laughs> um, your career – now, you you were redshirted uh, your first season at LSU, and obviously you win a College World Series there in dramatic fashion. You could have had another year of eligibility, but you didn't take it right because you had graduated. Was that the thought process there, Warren? No, no, I hadn't graduated yet. I only needed like a couple more um, – classes to graduate and I actually I came back actually two different falls to finish and get my degree no the the main thought process was you know I, I was drafted in the fifth round and um 
I, I mean, I just felt like, you know, with that ending and, you know, just being able to, to come and, and hit a home run and, 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 you know, that to be kind of the, the finish of my college career, I mean, I, I just I said there's no way I could top that or anything. And plus, you know, I, I felt like if I was going to give a go and, and just see, you know, what's this pro career, am I good enough to make it at that level or not, which honestly, you know, my my plans were I, my degrees in zoology. I think I'm going to go to medical school. We'll see. I mean, I may be able to play pro ball one year, two years, three years, and then we'll go that route. Well, I end up playing nine years of pro ball, you know, five years in the big leagues. And by that time, I've got, you know, twin one-year-olds, and I just didn't know if my heart was really into going all the route of, of trying to get in medical school and all of that and had an opportunity with some people I know in Alexandria that said, hey, why don't you come check out working at Red River Bank? And so the kid with a zoology degree who just played nine years of baseball started in banking, and now 15 years later I'm still here and loving just the fact that I get to help people and in my hometown of Alexandria. What does LSU mean to you? And, and I would assume with your responsibilities and being a family man and everything like that that you don't get to see as many games as you'd like at Alex Box or talk to Skip as much as you probably would want to, but what does – playing for LSU and wearing the purple and gold and being part of that fraternity mean to you? Well, it, it definitely means a lot. Yeah, I don't get to go to a lot of games. I do try to go to some just because, I mean, I'm now I, I have no problem telling people I have made the transition. I am definitely a fan. You know, I, I don't have to go out there and try to figure out how we're going to win. I just can sit back and cheer on the Tigers. So um, I love going to the games. But, yeah, I guess the the main thing is just pride, just the pride that, um, you know, I got to be a part of something that's special. And, you know, the Wally Pontiff Museum that's there uh, at the box is just tremendous. And, it, you know, it kind of puts together all those championships. And, you know, I, I still I haven't lost sight of that, uh, you know, seventh, eighth grade kid that uh, used to love watching sports and would tune in to LSU games or listen on the radio and, if you'd have told that kid that I that he would be on the wall or remembered or shown on TV clips there, I mean, I, you'd probably had to do some convincing because I just never thought of something that great happening. And, uh, you know, just it's like I, I, I tell kids, you know, I used to collect baseball cards as a kid. I never thought I'd be on one. And, you know, I, I, my favorite part of, the, the, of my baseball cards, and they all have it on there, is, it says birthplace or hometown, and it says Alexandria, Louisiana. You know, you don't have to be from Los Angeles or Chicago to, to make it to the big time. You can be from anywhere as long as you work hard, you get your opportunity, and you make the most of it. But, uh, you know, LSU is always going to be special to me, um, just just the fact that I, I got to be part of, you know, something special and play for one of the greatest coaches to ever coach. And, you know, I come what may going forward i can always look back with that with just a huge amount of pride you don't mind me asking before we wrap up our conversation brother you were part of an olympic team you had to be part of the 96 games Uh, first question about that what did that experience mean when you were able to make the team you find out that you are going to represent your country in the 1996 summer games well, I mean, that was special, too. And, and sometimes people ask me about comparing, you know, playing for LSU or the Olympics or pro ball, and you really can't. I mean, it's just it's just a different, and uh, they're all special, but they're all different. You know, um, 
I, I, I loved those first few games, just even as a red shirt at LSU, going out there in that uniform, and it's got LSU on it, and you know you're part of the team. But then, you know, you take that up another level when you're talking about not just representing Louisiana, but you're representing your country, and you know you got that USA across your chest, and. I just felt so blessed that, uh, you know, the Olympics, wherever they are, it's special. But, you know, the fact that we got to have it in Atlanta, right there in in our country. And, you know, we played in Fulton County Stadium where, you know, Hank Aaron hit broke the home run record. And we run out on the field and there's, you know, 40,000, 50,000 people chanting USA. I mean, I just I get goosebumps on the back of my neck just thinking about it still. Um, and, and representing, you know, my country and you know i've I've never been in the, the military or anything like that and i know there's a lot of pride and they put their lives on the line we didn't put our lives on the line but we were representing something special and we we didn't want to let our country down and uh you know i always every I always watch the opening ceremony you know i know they're long and you got to wait but um, I just I, I love watching the United States team march out because I mean it just brings back that those memories and and I'll never forget what that felt like to be there and to be part of it. Um, you know I, I I've said this before I, I as a kid would have just thought it was the greatest gift you could give me if you would have got me tickets to go to the Olympics and sit in the seats and watch it and if you'd have told that kid that, hey, you're going to be on the field and you're going to be in the Olympics, I mean, that, I don't even know how I would have even been able to deal with that. So it's just just special, just really something that, um, I, you know, a lot of people don't talk about it too much, and that's fine. You know, I understand we're like a LSU-crazy state, but uh, they think it's cool I play for LSU, and, you know, they think it's cool I played in the, the big leagues. But I tell you, playing um, in the Olympics was, was right up there just as, as proud of a moment for me. What did the games itself and the tragedy that occurred there in Atlanta, how did that impact you, uh, yourself and the team and kind of what did that do for you as a young man uh, becoming uh, growing into manhood, so to speak, at that time? Uh, well, we were a little more, um, I guess, sheltered. You know, it wasn't uh, – social media was not a thing. News didn't travel quite as fast as it does now. So, honestly, I, I don't know if any of us even knew until we had curfews, and I don't think anybody – everybody was in our – Olympic Village, which was the dormitories at Georgia Tech. So really, I, I didn't know about anything that had happened with that bombing until the next morning. You know, had some loved ones and, you know, family members from throughout the team reaching out, making sure we were all okay. And, you know, we were miles away. We were there in Atlanta, but we weren't close to any of that. So, I mean, I, the aftermath was, was crazy with all you read and the things that, that's going on. And then you start wondering, well, is that going to happen again? And I can remember just, you know, multiple armed guards that would get on our bus as we rode to play, and they'd check underneath the bus for bombs. So, you know, that, that was kind of eerie feeling, kind of almost that same feeling like after 9-11 when you're wondering, well, those other planes I see, are they is that going to happen with that plane, you know? But um, as far as, you know, we didn't have any loved ones or anybody on our team was, was near any of that. So I guess we didn't have to deal with that as much. And, you know, the coaches did a good job of just kind of helping us keep our focus on what we can focus on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was it was cool to just be, um, I guess, as 
his college kids just be part of of the whole festivities in in Atlanta, and uh, it's a shame that that it did have to happen and, and kind of put a, a mar on those games. And that's a lot of people remember that. Uh, but uh, it was it was great uh, just being in the Olympic Village and seeing you know players from every nationality and different sports and. Coach Bertman was great about, you know, if we didn't have a game on a certain day, we'd get our workout in early, and then he would just re- let us go. And, you know, they, they had tickets for, for athletes. So, I mean, I went and watched water polo. I went to the gymnastics whenever Kerry Shrug, like, stuck that landing to win the gold. And, you know, just going to track and field, just going to be a fan is part of all that because, you know, that, that, that's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, that's kind of the main things I take away with me from all of those. I mean, it seemed like it was longer, but, uh, I mean, I guess you're just there two, two, three weeks. Warren, what was it like playing in the show? Was it as magical as Crash Davis tells us in Bull Durham? <laughs> well, I mean, it's definitely magical. Um, it takes some getting used to, I think, at first, just um, – you know, I can just remember just something as simple as, like, looking around, you know, from out at second base. And, you know, you're used to, even Alex Box Stadium is a fairly large, you know, college stadium. But it doesn't have, like, two or three levels of upper decks. And, you know, it just takes some getting used to. to you know, this is a big-time venue. And, you know, kind of have to remind yourself, you know, just like, I guess, kind of like in the movie Hoosiers where they measure the rim. You know, the bases are still 90 feet apart. The pitcher's still right there. The, the players are, are, are a little better, but, you know, they, they're more or less just more consistent. You know, I always say, you know, a, a great college pitcher, he can get big league hitters out. He just, these big league pitchers do it all day, you know, every day. Um, so, you know, you know, it, it was, it was, it was neat just to be part of it and, um, you know, I didn't – it was a different experience, I guess. I mean, I'd do it all over again, obviously. But, you know, coming from LSU where we just won all the time and um, the teams I played on the big leagues, we, we weren't as successful, so we didn't win a lot. And um, But, you know, you, you have certain opportunities. You know, I can remember just the, my rookie year we played in New York against the Mets, and it was a situation where they had to beat us to get to the playoffs. And, I mean, that was as close to a playoff atmosphere as I've ever been around. I mean, every pitch, the crowd's into it, and it's a packed stadium. So just embracing that and, you know, just that, that, that really fuels your competitive juices because it's not just everybody on the field, and, um, but it's that, that, just that, that loud and just the fans into it, which I would think had to make it um, – I never had to deal with kind of like those guys did this past year with COVID where – you know, they didn't have fans in the stands, and it was a lot quieter. Um, you know, other than playing like in single A where there's 200 guys in the minor leagues and the 200 fans watching your games, for the most part you're used to crowd noise and cheering whenever something good happens or, you know, so it's just it was, it was a strange year, I know. All right, bud, I'll get you out of here with this. This is an easy one, okay? We, we went down memory lane. We talked about your career, overcoming injury, College World Series hero, Olympics, your faith, the whole nine yards. But this is going to be the toughest one that I'm going to ask you, and I saved it for last. You ready, bud? Ready. How'd you get the nickname Mercury? Mercury? Oh, uh, well, that was I, – I, I want to say that came from Coach Bertman. 
because, you know, he's got Miami ties. Right. I guess the name fits, Mercury Morris, the running back. <laughs> when I first got there, well, thankfully I didn't have his extracurricular activities, but whenever uh, I got <laughs> Bravo. to LSU. Bravo, Warren. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> when we got to LSU, um, early on, you know, they would like Thomas in the 60 or whatever, and I, I was, you know, I was probably 150 pounds, and probably faster then than even, you know, whenever I, I, I was playing. So I, I want to say maybe uh, I might have had, like, the fastest time in the 60 that first year. So he was like, oh, that's Mercury Morris right there. So it just kind of stuck stuck from uh, and, and that was it. It was a wrap after that. Yeah, I mean, he kept calling me that, but um, that was that was the only. Uh, yeah, right. There, there was. No, it just stayed on the field. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother, I appreciate you, Tom. As always, Warren, you're you're so gracious with it. I know you're going to get bombarded with requests, especially with it being the 25th anniversary coming up in June. But I'm glad we uh, put some time aside to do this uh, today, brother. And uh, thank you so much, man. And just keep up. Uh, doing the great work and keep uh, doing everything that you're doing in there, living the life that uh, God's put in front of you up there in Alexandria, brother. I greatly appreciate your time. All right. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Raymond. The College World Series hero himself, Warren Morris. You're going to be hard-pressed to find someone more humble and more gracious with their time than Warren Morris. This is the man behind the most famous play in college baseball history, the most famous play in LSU history. It is phenomenal that 25 years later, he still gives people the time. He still doesn't mind talking about that moment. It's still as fresh to him as it was all those years ago. And appreciate Warren coming on here on the Rap Game Podcast and sharing those memories with us of his time at LSU and becoming a college baseball legend. That's going to do it for this episode of the Rap Game Podcast. If you missed any previous episodes, not to worry. Simply go to 1037thegame.com, click on the Rap Game Podcast tab, and there you will find all archived episodes of the Rap Game Podcast. That way you can listen to it at any time you desire. Until next time, y'all be safe out there, be kind to one another, and I'll talk to you soon. 